Welcome to Too Long Didn't Read with TK Spiff. I'm your host, TK Spiff, and this is a podcast where we digest some of the top news in tech and media over the past month and condense them down so you don't have to. Over the past month, three tech stories have caught my attention, and to talk about one of them further, I'll be joined today by a very close friend of mine and my own personal cybersecurity guru. We went to university together, we studied together, and we've lived together. Please welcome Jared Smith. Jared, how are you doing? Hi, I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. It's good to see you. I haven't seen you in in person in a long time. A long time, yeah. It's really good to see you. And what an introduction. Personal cybersecurity guru, I love it. Yeah, (laughs) you did write it and you did hand it to me before (laughs) before this video started. So uh, I had to get get it spot on. Jared, would you just give a brief introduction about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. So yeah, for your listeners, I think the reason why you've referred to me as your cybersecurity guru is because I've spent the last five years working in information security. I've been helping financial sector organisations build and implement information security systems from the strategic level, working with CISOs and CEOs, trying to build the information security strategy all the way down to the the very sort of nuts and bolts of how to build and and implement and test a secure network. So really looking forward to hopefully being able to to shed some light on some of the questions that you're bringing to the table. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So to start this off, Jared, I'm going to give you a too long, didn't read summary of the three stories that have caught my attention this month. And then you'll be able to decide which one we want to unpack further. How's that sound? Excellent. Sounds good. Great. Okay. So the first story I saw was about Amazon and they're facing spying claims over the use of AI cameras in some of their vans. And then the second story was about the success of online dating during the pandemic after news of Bumble becoming a listed company. And then the final story that really caught my attention actually was about Spotify. Basically a Spotify user, she ends up bonding with her hacker over the choice of music being played on her account. Which one are you kind of leaning towards? I think it's got to be the last one. The Spotify one sounds really interesting. Let's uh, let's give that one a go. Perfect. Basically, just a brief summary about this. So a lady named Eloise Horsfield, she lives alone in Bristol. She receives an email informing her of a new unexpected login into her Spotify account. So she goes onto her Spotify account and a song starts playing that she didn't pick. Uh, so she stops it. That happens again. A song plays. Uh, she stops it again. And then a song called Lovely Choice comes on and she realises that whoever's controlling her account is in fact a human being. Uh, and they're kind of messing with her at this point. It's at this point where she decides to try and actually communicate with the hacker to voice her displeasure at this whole experience. She plays a Lily Allen song with the lyrics, we hate what you do, oh, wow. we hate your whole crew, so please don't stay in touch in, in some sort of way to show her anger. This goes back and forth. The two are communicating through song lyrics, uh, song titles, and even a podcast that's titled Go For A Walk Outdoors. So finally, it ends with Spotify setting setting her up with a new account and her fleeting exchange with her hacker is over. Um, So in the current climate, (laughs) uh, on some level, there's something quite nice about interacting with somebody in a way that doesn't involve Zoom or doesn't involve wearing a mask 
at a supermarket or that kind of thing. And maybe the current circumstances and people's general lack of social contact was the reason why this experience played out the way it did. But I can't really shake how incredibly invasive the whole thing is. And I'm sure you'll, you'll agree on that point. So I've been hearing things about this massive increase in kind of hacking and stuff like that throughout the pandemic. And has ha, like is that true? Like, has, has there been like a big kind of hacking activity uh, whilst we're all stuck at home? Yeah. Absolutely. I can confirm that as, a, as an absolute fact. So the case study which you've given us is actually a really interesting one because it's, it segues into a number of very topical points in information security at the moment. So this particular individual, whilst the case study was quite lighthearted and had a bit of a you know back and forth with the hacker, actually provides evidence of the fact that increasingly a lot of users you know, have a very large digital footprint. You know, yourself, myself, friends, um, of people of our generation, we tend to use social media as a, a source point. Point every day we're accessing our Instagram, we're accessing our Facebook, whatever it might be, and sharing information to, to everyone across the world. Um, and what this shows is it shows that people have an absolute lack of control over who's accessing their, their key accounts. We're seeing this not only in the like the private life. So, you know, when you're talking about Facebook, Instagram, or Spotify, which can be, you know, a bit sort of intrusive from a social perspective, but it doesn't really have a financial implication. But what we're seeing increasingly is people accessing the credentials to people's banking, people's, you know, Office three six five accounts for their workplace and that's where the real issues lie if people aren't being safe at home with their accounts such as spotify or instagram it can often lead to people being unsafe with their office accounts and having a much more of a severe impact on say banking or financial risk in, in that sense um, and like we said you know it's a very light-hearted example because there was a back and forth here and there but it is quite unnerving that you know this person had access to something which you know music taste is quite personal right like i know that my spotify is quite um important to me so i wouldn't want yeah. someone with it. No, that makes sense. I've heard your Spotify playlist uh, <laughs> uh, throughout the years. So, no, I, I, I get how this is a touchy subject for you. Um, yeah, absolutely. Why is there such an increase in it? Is it because people are at home? People are on um, social media accounts more? Um, yeah. Are they kind of using things like Spotify more? Like, why now? Is it just the perfect storm of the pandemic? That's exactly it. So, um, there's a multitude of reasons as to why cybersecurity incidents in particular have increased. Um, and it is a perfect storm. Like you said, so we've we've had pretty much. I would say there's three key factors. So we've had rapid digital transformation overnight. You know, pretty much all of the sort of white collar jobs switched to working from home within the flick of a switch. And organisations had to do that very very quickly. They had to spin up cloud systems to support um, a large amount of employees pretty much overnight. And that, as a result, has left gaps in infrastructure. So a lot of organisations are now clambering to try and plug those gaps which attackers are often looking to exploit, you know, whether it be how firewalls are configured, how a particular organisation is training their staff. There may be certain limitations to what an organisation is able to do in such a short space of time. Um, in addition to that, there's a lot of attackers that are preying on COVID fear. So the fact that we're seeing an increase in phishing emails where attackers are trying to pretend to be the NHS or they're pretending to be the government or they're pretending to you know, have something to do with COVID relief so it will help entice people to click the link or download a malicious file in a bit more swift of a manner. So that's quite menacing as well. And in addition to all of that, we're without IT oversight. So we're sat at home, you know, in some cases we're accessing files and we're looking at systems and stuff like that without the ability for IT to give us a tap on the shoulder or to just, you know, 
quickly go to the IT desk and say, is this right? This looks suspicious. Also, you can pop them a message on Skype. Often they're not available or they're not free. So people often tend to just go ahead with their gut, click the link, download the file, and all of a sudden you've got a, a ransomware attack or something quite menacing on, on your device. Kind of a link to what you just said about phishing. I, well, recently I nearly uh, had a kind of run-in with a phishing, I don't want to call it a scandal, but <laughs> like a phishing attempt. Yeah. Um, I was expecting a package from a certain courier that, well, I got an email from the same courier to be like, oh, um, your package is going to be delivered late. Please, can you click this link to rearrange the different delivery day? So I looked at it and the only reason I didn't click on it was because it didn't say my name. It said, dear email address. And then I clicked on their email address and it was full of like different characters and it was clearly it wasn't from them. So how much responsibility do we have to take as like savvy internet users to avoid these phishing attacks or how sophisticated are these hackers where by even if you're completely vigilant they can still get you i mean with that you've raised some really interesting points so um, attackers in general are, are becoming more sophisticated they're understanding how businesses talk to one another they will listen to email communications or intercept email communications between individuals then mimic writing styles and mimic the footers and the headers of different emails. So we are seeing an increasing sophistication in that sense. But there are controls that can be implemented to protect you from you know, account compromise. In the case of this Spotify incident, circling back to the, the case which you mentioned at the start, they should have implemented two-factor authentication. They should have strong passwords. And you would hope that that's something that's like a mitigating factor for their account being compromised in the first place. But that, I will probably get back to that at a later point. But the thing that we're seeing in terms of increasing capability also links into the fact that whilst individuals have an onus on themselves to be sort of trained and versed in how to spot suspicious links and spot suspicious emails. Organizations do have an obligation to train their staff as well. I can clearly see that you've been well trained spotting that phishing email, spotting it straight away, knowing that it of looks course. A bit dodgy. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> That's I great definitely to, I was definitely paying attention. Great to see. So yeah, an organization should be looking at people, process and technology. So are the people trained? Um, are there processes in place to say if you spot a phishing email and if it's suspicious, if you've clicked a link what do you do? There should be a detailed process that you're aware of, whether you follow. And then in addition to that, what technological controls are in place to protect your accounts? What firewall configurations are keeping out these malicious emails? What sort of hygiene and filters do they have on email accounts? Is two-factor authentication set up, for example? So there's a, there's a multitude of different layers that organizations should be taking to, to defend. That, yeah, going back to the, the story, one of the issues that Eloise had, and you've mentioned it, was that she hadn't actually changed her password since 2000. Nine, oh um, and you mentioned, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's coming to eleven years. Eleven years. <laughs> um, yeah, honestly, um, you mentioned about two-factor authentication. Could you just like dive in a little bit deeper about like what is that and kind of like is it very easy to set that sort of thing up? Yeah, absolutely. So multi-factor authentication or two-factor authentication, they basically come by default with every modern account you want to set up. So Google, Gmail, I know for a fact has it set up by default as does Microsoft Outlook. And what it is, is it's a prompt by the actual system that you're logging into which sends you a secondary authentication mechanism. So you'll have your password, which is something you know, and the two-factor is the something you have. So it's a token or it's a, a numerical sequence or it's a text message with a code on it, which you then input to the two-factor authentication gateway, which then gives you further access into the device. So an attacker would have to compromise your 
email account and also clone your SIM card if you choose to do an SMS message rather than a token for them to have access to your email, which is very, very rare. Unless you're a targeted individual at a nation state level, odds are that attackers aren't cloning your SIM cards and matching that with your email account that's been compromised. So just sort of make sure that you've got your MFA and two-factor authentication set up as much as possible. Okay. Yeah, I'm definitely not um, a nation state, whatever you said, but <laughs> <Target>. <laughs> um, yeah, a nation state target. I definitely not one of those. So I'm fine then. I mean, it sounds like I'm doing what I need to be doing. I guess I can always be a little bit safer, especially with, I guess, oh, I just keep reading all of these like new methods that hackers are using to take over your account and stuff. And there's something, this might be my irrational fear coming through. I have yep. this real fear that somebody's always watching me through my webcam. Um, how <laughs> irrational is that fear? Yeah, is that is that possible for somebody to actually do that? I would say that it's, you know, overall it's pretty irrational. I think that, you know, movies and cinema have worked wonders with people's imaginations when it comes to this kind of thing. Like, don't get me wrong, spyware does exist. Key loggers are very common, but all, all key loggers do is it's a piece of malware that will access your keypad and anything that you type into your device will be memorized to the attacker's device through a command and control server. But what, you know, in the movies and spyware with people accessing your cameras and seeing what you're up to, that's very sophisticated. And we would hope to see the majority of people update their devices regularly. You know, the most modern software patches, the most modern vulnerability antivirus protection software that you've got, it tends to look after and plug the gaps of where a potential spyware piece of malware may actually access a device. So just make sure that your devices are patched and updated. Make sure that you're running an antivirus and just being vigilant and making sure that you're not looking or, or clicking on suspicious links or suspicious um, dodgy websites. But Overall, I would say that, yes, I think you're being a bit sort of irrational there in your fear, but you should be sensible. You should you should always protect yourself and, and have that in the back of your mind. Would you like someone looking through your webcam? Probably not. So just don't click the suspicious link and don't download that file. Just be vigilant. Got it. Okay. What other kind of methods and like new methods have you seen are kind of keeping you up at night? The thing that really troubles me is compromises of IoT devices. So every home's got a, a Alexa device in the house. Every home's got a smart TV these days. And the attack surface for malicious actors to try and gain access to an individual's life or their financial details or their personal data is increasing day by day as we get more and more internet connected. And that's where I particularly see more concerns in years to come. And, you know, in that you've got the cloud and what that means for um, data sovereignty and compliance and all the other different ethical wranglings that go with it. So there's, there's a lot of different elements elements around IoT attacks, which which keep me up at night. Um, another one's ransomware. Ransomware terrifies me also. What, what, is, what is ransomware? So ransomware is a, a particularly nasty piece of malware, so a nasty virus that infects a PC. And when it infects the system or, or a network, it doesn't only spread the virus across the network, it actually locks the network altogether and, and encrypts the device or encrypts the systems that it's actually been able to spread through. It's particularly virulent, so it, it can propagate quite quickly and quite swiftly going through vulnerability and vulnerability through un unpatched devices. Um, and the reason why it's called ransomware is because you can't actually reaccess that system or reaccess
access that device unless you pay a ransom, you pay a fee. And what this is doing is it's actually shutting down systems en masse across the world. There's, there's organizations that are ultimately having to pay huge fees to insurers or huge fees to these attackers to try and recover their data. Because as we've modernized, as a, the societies evolved, we, we run our entire businesses based on data, the data which we manage and the data which we access. And we're so dependent on these systems that if they're locked or if they're crippled, the business has no choice but to you know try and bend to the, the attacker's needs. And, and that's the kind of stuff that you, know, you should always try and prevent as much as possible. So prevention is always better than cure. You should be doing everything you can to avoid being in that circumstance in the first place. And would you, I guess, would you advise, like, I've got the quote, we don't negotiate with terrorists, like, <laughs> a flight fl- around in my head. But how else could you get around that? Would you, like, do you just have to pay it? Or, like, what other ways are there to actually stop or stop a ransomware happening once it's actually started? So it's a difficult one because, like you said, the statement should always be you don't negotiate with terrorists. You should never, you should never pay a ransom because the funds are going to some nefarious character in some dark basement somewhere or some nation state or something. So you should never pay the ransom if you can avoid it. Um, but that's a decision for a business or a risk committee to make. So we would always sort of offer them potential options and explain to them the implications as to why. To get around the fact of a, a ransomware attack, what you should be doing regularly is backing up your systems, backing up your data, making sure that you've got business resilience baked into your operation so that if you were hit with a ransomware attack, you've got backups in the cloud, you've got backups in hardware systems that are off-site somewhere that are you know, constantly fed day-to-day that if anything did go down, you just restore it from, from scratch and there wouldn't be that much of an issue. So fingers crossed there should be some kind of way to restore from backup if affected, but you should be in the first place avoiding it altogether. So patching your systems, training your staff, ensuring policies are in place and that the network is tested regularly and that it's configured properly. That makes sense. Um, you mentioned earlier about kind of the rapid growth of digitalization and there might be gaps in people and businesses' cybersecurity. Is it worthwhile businesses paying hackers almost to look for certain gaps in their their systems and if it is how do you even go about engaging with somebody to say oh please can you hack my system i just want to see how secure it is <laughs> so there are there are people who actually get paid for this for a living they actually they're legitimate they're not you know hackers is usually something that is associated with something quite negative but there's right. also people who you know are classed as white hat hackers which do it okay. for sort of you know ethical means so it's not uh going onto the black market and- no, looking, no, 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 looking for looking for your particular hacker. No, no, you can actually, you know, any good information security team should have some level of ethical penetration testing element to their team to make sure that their network is is tested as much as possible. They call it red teaming events, and basically, um, an organisation pays these particular individuals who can sort of negotiate systems, understand how to pivot from one piece of infrastructure to the other, find a vulnerability, exploit some credentials, find an admin password, exploit some credentials again. And then what they'll do is they'll construct a report and then say, look, here's where all the vulnerabilities are. Patch this, solve that before an attacker does, because we've managed to do it in a certain amount of time. So it's quite a useful means of, of doing it. That's a pretty cool job. All of it, like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that sounds awesome. Um, Jared, this has been really, really great. And I appreciate your your time. Just before I let you go, uh, do you have any, I don't know, your top three tips to be safer online? I know you've delved deep into a, a lot of topics during this conversation, but yeah, do you have any just kind of bullet point? You should do this, you should do that, you should do this, and you should not do that sort of tips. Absolutely. So number one, don't use public Wi-Fi or 
vulnerable Wi-Fi networks in the tube or, I don't know, in a coffee shop when you're accessing client data, sensitive data, banking information, if you're looking to sort of transfer accounts, something like that, just be aware of the network that you're using and what information is being sent across that network because it's very easy for an attacker to spin up a laptop and capture any information that's being distributed to and from that router or that particular network. So just make sure that you're using a VPN or something secure, a means that can protect your data should you want to access the internet when you're out and about. Um, Be suspicious, always check the emails, be vigilant, make sure that you're checking and double checking if there's grammar that's not correct, um, or if there's a typo in in the domain, the actual email domain that it's emailing from, Amazon spelt with an E instead of an O, stuff like that. Just be careful and be vigilant in that sense. Don't click any links or download any files from from anything you're not expecting. Um, And thirdly, good password hygiene. So make sure that you're using strong, memorable passwords, probably around 15 characters, a mix of letters and symbols. Um, You should be using a password manager, ideally. Um, LastPass is a really good one. It's GCHQ certified, so you can store your passwords in there and know they're not going anywhere, fingers crossed. Um, And then also make sure that two-factor authentication and um, multi-factor authentication is enabled on all of your accounts where possible. Because if your password was compromised, it's very difficult that an attacker will be able to compromise the 2FA as well. So just make sure that you're doing that. Jared, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, Yeah, it's really, really informative. Uh, It's good to see you as well. Yeah, Uh, you too. Hopefully hopefully we can catch up in person soon. Yeah, Um, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. It's been good speaking with you. Really enjoyed it. That was Jared Smith. Join us next month and we'll have a look into more tech news and I'll have another special guest on to deep dive into some of the news that was just too long for you to read. See you later.